0: I was already going to drop in a trash can joke. What are you doing with that with that little number there? Sorry, a cheater totally cough? Your, you're going totally, with a cheater cough? Yeah, That's totally what you're going
1: killed. with. I just went with the easy one, you know.
0: Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead. And joining me as always, the man with an honorary degree from the school of Toby Keith's. I love this bar and grill, my brother, Mike.
1: Those are really the formative years of my life, and I want to thank uh, Mr. Keith. I know he's a devoted listener to the show. I want to thank him for the top flight education that I received. Is it not, Doctor Keith? at This point
0: has he not earned several honorary doctorates
1: from he had, various he had, establishments? He had to have you know, I mean, the man wrote should have been a cowboy.
0: Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, we're not going to. Nobody look. Nobody fact check that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Great job on you. Yeah, Getting educated is really the most important thing, Mike. And so nice job there from you. I can cut off
1: a uh, button-up flannel shirt with the best of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can stack red solo cups like you wouldn't believe. That's right. On this week's episode, we'll review the week that was, discuss something that's causing a little fan discontent, and preview this week's slate of games. Mike, in general, where does your discontent
1: meter sit? I don't really have a discontent meter anymore. I am a broken husk of a man (laughs) and I'm past discontent and I'm to a, a place of being just really numb, you know, but I will say that watching MJ Melendez and Bobby Witt Jr. hit the ball and seeing those young guys and seeing the slight changes in approach and things on the offense has made me more appreciative of watching the games.
0: Jumping into last week's Royals baseball, we'll start with a little roster news. It was a weird week for the roster because of the Royals, who are uh, not a great team anyway, were gone ahead and given about a COVID. They're having a little COVID outbreak amongst the team. And so, you know, when you're, you know, 14 and 26, like they were to start this week or whatever, what you really need is a bunch of injuries and a bur- an outbreak of COVID. That's going to help a whole bunch. Although oddly, maybe it did help their team. It sounds weird, but like, you know, getting some of these young guys on the team did, did sort of help out the team a little bit. Unfortunately, one of their young guys ended up with COVID or on the COVID protocols at the very least. Kyle Isbell was placed on the 10 day injured list this week because of COVID protocols, Amir Garrett, their uh, relief pitcher who they just got in the offseason, also on the 10 day IL with COVID protocols. Hopefully, they end up back soon. Hopefully, they're feeling better at least a little bit. Hopefully, it's not too bad for them, and we get to see them back in Royal Blue here before too long. Because both those guys got put on the IL. Brewer Hicklin and Dylan Coleman were brought up to the major leagues. Brewer Hicklin, a old-ish prospect for an outfielder, a guy who played football at um, where UAB. Was that at? UAB, UAB, that's right. Good UAB. Dragons. UAB, uh, made his major league debut this week. Congratulations to him. Uh, athletic toolsy outfielder guy who probably never be an MLB. If he's a little, say it's, it's a long shot. He'll be an MLB regular, but could be a really useful fourth outfielder guy with speed guy who can play good defense in the outfield, a little bit of pop to his bat too. Maybe strikes out a little. Well, okay. He strikes out way too much at this point, but we'll see if he can, if he can shave those numbers down. Dylan Coleman really just got like a day and a half in, in, in AAA. He was like, I think it was a, he he had a barbecue beef sandwich down there and then came back, you know, it was really nothing in in Omaha for him.
1: Yeah, the thing that scares me the most is Kyle Isbell because he was hitting so well before he went on to the COVID list or onto the injured list with the COVID protocol. And I worry that when he comes back on, one of two things will happen. Either one, he'll struggle to get back in the groove or two, the coaching staff won't play him. That's the thing maybe I'm most worried about. And so that, that would be really, really bad. I need Kyle Isbell to get back onto the field and to hit like Kyle Isbell was before this.
0: Well, that's the thing you always worry about with this coaching staff—is will they play this guy who, for some reason, they don't seem to have a whole lot of faith in. Now they were playing him quite a bit when he went down. Looked like they had earned—he had earned their trust as a guy who could play center really well in the in the corners, you know, that sort of thing. He was having great at bats when he went on the. This guy just cannot get a long stretch of games played. (laughs) He just can't get. You know, if it's not the coaching staff sitting him or sending him down to AAA, then it's COVID coming out and hitting him. And it's like, man. I want to see Kyle Isbell in the lineup virtually every day for two months or something like that, because you put him in there in the mix with guys like Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ Melendez. This offense is starting to look a little bit interesting. If you can get that sort of thing going, can't wait to get Kyle Isbell back. I think he'll be a big addition to this team.
1: Or if you do sit him the one day a week, you do decide to sit him. It's a day when it's a really tough lefty and you're loading the lineup with right-handed hitters
0: yeah because he does struggle a little bit against lefties that's that's the needs to be the plan with him he needs to play against every righty and maybe 50% of lefties hopefully he gets back into the lineup and gets back into a groove right away a guy who was brought back into the lineup a guy we hope starts taking off salvador perez came off the 10-day injured list this week got back into the lineup at dh first and then caught today that means sebastian rivero unfortunately got sent back to northwest arkansas I feel bad for Rivera sometimes. I think the guy is really capable of being a backup major league catcher right now, but he's been be, he's being treated like an org guy who just gets moved around from place to place wherever I he's know. needed.
1: Nick Denny gets treated like an org guy.
0: <laughs> he, he used to. I don't think he's with the org. <laughs> anymore. With the I don't org? think okay. so. Wait, um, whatever, but,
1: whatever organization he's in, he's an org guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but 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 Sebastian Rivero always looks good when he's catching defensively. I think he's capable enough with the bat to be a major league backup. And so I hope he gets a chance one day. For now, he's gonna have to settle for shuttling back and forth between Northwest Arkansas, Kansas City, Omaha, wherever he's kind of needed up at the upper levels of the minors in the in major corner leagues. Corner of that
1: I-29 corridor there.
0: Yeah, why don't you just open up like a little B and B on the I-29 <laughs> corridor? You can he can make some money on the side there. That sounds good. The Royals went two and four this week, which brings their overall record to 16 and 30. Overall, it was probably the best I've seen them play on the season all all year was this week. I thought their offense was good this week. I have the numbers to back that up if you need it. They were seventh overall in weighted runs created plus this week at 139, which is really good. They hit 282. As a batting average, 363 as an on-base, and 453 for a slugging as a team this week. It starts to look like they're clicking a little bit offensively. They got a few good starts from Heasley, Lynch, and Singer this week, too. Not-so-great ones from Granky or Keller. We'll talk a little bit more maybe about Granky at some point. He looks like he might be injured. They're talking about flexor injury, some sort of forearm thing that's never good. We'll see on that. Not ready to say anything definitely about Granky, but the offense was clicking in. They got a few good starts this week. Mike, I don't know what you think, but I've noticed a definite change in the offensive production and quality of at-bats since the hitting coach change.
1: Yeah, it makes for a much better viewing experience when you know that it's not going to be a huge embarrassment of plate appearances. You're not going to get three or four guys in a row who are up there just swinging at everything. It's still those young guys that are driving those good plate appearances, but I feel like it's even helped guys like Whit Merrifield. It's even helped. I think even Nicky Lopez a little bit, even though we haven't seen a lot of those Uh, Hits materialize, and he's still swinging at too many balls that are up in the zone. But you see better quality at bats from a lot of different hitters, which, you know, over time creates more runs. Bobby Wade Jr. looks better. You know, Melendez was looking great anyway. Uh, And yeah, so Hunter Dozier looks great right now. So this has all been really good to see, and it makes me want to watch games every day. Yeah, here we we mentioned it
0: today on our car ride. We were, I think we got caught a glimpse of the game. Mike and I were sort of watching the game while driving back from Maryville, Missouri to Kansas City today. So I was watching on my phone, sitting passenger, and he was listening to it and then occasionally sneaking a glance. But one of the things we noticed was the first three hitters of the game today, this is Sunday, May 29th, facing Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray pitched great today but the first three hitters taxed him for 20 pitches in the first inning, despite the fact that they all got out. There were no hits, no walks in the first inning, but Sonny Gray still had to throw 30 or 20 pitches to get out of it. That's the type of thing that signifies they're having good plate appearances. They're, you know, getting deep into counts. They're fouling balls off, all that sort of thing. you love to see a team that can tax a pitcher for pitches, even when they're not being productive, gets those guys out, gets them to change pitchers more frequently and all that sort of stuff. Ultimately, they didn't really end up scoring much off Sun and gray. They didn't score that much at all today, but the plate appearances look so much better and they are scoring more runs this week than they have up to this point in the season. So hopefully they keep that up. We get to see this team at least be competent offensively. We know the rotation is starting to round out a little bit. Could this be a competitive team? Not like for a playoff spot. (laughs) I'm not crazy, but like, could this be a team that is more competitive in games and the days of the eight, nothing deficit after three innings are over for the most part, because the offense is looking better. We have some offensive guys to talk about for strong performances this week. Mike, let us know who you want to talk about and praise as having a really
1: good week this week. Yeah. Hunter Dozier, baby. The bulldozer. Here we go. Eight for 23. 23. He had four walks and Hunter Dozier's not Hunter Dozier had four walks and four strikeouts. He's not a guy who walks the same amount of times as he strikes out. So that's really good to see. That's part of that more uh, developed approach that we saw as a team. Five RBIs, one home run. He got some time at first base this week. He saw some you'll see some time in right field as well. Super utility player, Hunter Dozier. Yeah. yeah. Next Ben Zobrist
0: Hunter Dozier. Was,
1: I don't remember if it was a, a catch to end the game or just an inning oh, where yeah. the Royals looked like it was. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty important catch he made in right field uh, yeah, on Saturday. It, it was something a good right fielder makes somewhat routinely, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. but you got to
0: set the ball pretty low for him. <laughs> yeah. The bar is and, and right, you really is pretty low for Hunter Dozier
1: low. defensively. But it was good to see that. It was good to see him hit. Um, if he can be, and I think the the OPS that we kind of set for him before the season was 750, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's above that, I believe, right now. Yeah, I don't think he's over 800, but he's somewhere in that 750 to 800 range. If he's in that 750 to 800 range, the, the Royals are getting the value, probably the value that they signed him for a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, I think Dozier's having a great season up to this point and a great week. It's interesting to me because his defensive numbers at first base actually aren't that bad. He's actually statistically anyway, a pretty good first baseman. You would think he would be a little bit better offensively because as a runner, he's actually pretty good. He's in the 71st percentile for sprint speed. He just apparently does not read the ball that well in the outfield. And it's not surprising that he doesn't have great jumps either, I don't think, because he is a bigger guy with those longer strides. So that sprint speed is really going to he's going to have decent top end speed, but he's faster than he is quick. And so, you know, not great jumps in the outfield, but when he gets going, he can he can cover some ground. But, you know, played pretty well this week defensively at first base and in the field. And, of course, did what he's supposed to do, and that is hit the ball. I like him behind Bobby Witt Jr. right now. That's working pretty well, that Bobby Witt Jr. in the three-hole, Dozier in the four-hole. He's really been coming through in key moments this week.
1: Yeah, and I looked it up, 791 OPS. If he stays at 791 OPS for the year, you're loving it.
0: Yeah, you're you're actually finding ways to get him in the lineup once it starts getting really crowded with Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado and all these other guys. Dozier might have to be a more rotational player, but you want that to be a heavy rotation if he's going to hit a 791 OPS because that's something you're really looking for. The guy we got to talk about, the guy who's had really the scorching hot week this week is Bobby Witt Jr. And everybody's been pretty giddy about it. It's it's a really great thing to see from him. The strides he makes, man, so quickly. And they're big strides. You just see him growing all the time in the game. And that's really great to see. This week almost represents a turning point, I think, for him. He has really turned it around offensively. He went 10 for 27 this week with four doubles, one triple, two home runs. He had zero walks. So that's the next corner for him to turn, start taking some more walks and five strikeouts. But coming into this week, he had an OPS of 649. Now it's 732. He jumped his OPS almost a hundred points in one week. That's really, really good. And coming into today was even higher. He slipped a little bit today because I think he went for four or something like that today, but Man, he had a scorching hot week. Three doubles in one game. Just just really extra base hits all over the place for him. The issue he was having coming into this game a little bit was he was hitting too many ground balls. This week, he started to elevate it a little bit more. He got his line drive rate up to 19%. For a guy like him, it's probably going to be around 25% most of the time, 21 to 25%. So he's really getting it back up to where it needs to be. And when he's hitting line drives, this dude is a scary, scary good baseball player.
1: Yeah, so I'm really mash breaking pitches that were in the zone this week uh, still will get so still, so we'll miss that one down and away. way but the, the kind of one disappointment is yes maybe the walks and then the double play that he hit into with the bases loaded the other day but man he was their offense this week and it was it was fun to watch and he can yeah. he can muscle one out to right center better than probably anybody with the exception of Salvador Perez on this team
0: yeah, we saw that triple from him was actually a ball. He hit far and deep to right center, but Minnesota has this really tall wall in right center It ended up hitting high off that wall. In other parks, that's probably a home run, but it, it just bounced off the wall. He ends up with a triple instead. He's the type of guy who's going to hit quite a few home runs out to right field when he gets right, when he gets all the way there, when he's all the way locked in and all the way comfortable, he's going to drive a lot of fastballs out to right field. His numbers against fastballs right now aren't very good it's the breaking ball he's really adjusted to and is starting to hit a lot and hit really hard. It'll be interesting to see if guys start throwing him more fastballs as they're like, wait, he's figured this breaking ball out. He's laying off the sliders outside the zone and he's starting to pound the ones that we leave in the zone. We got to start throwing him fastballs and then he'll have to adjust again. But if they keep letting him get comfortable, eventually he's going to be comfortable hitting both of them. And we're talking about a guy who, when he's in that place, is going to be even more impressive than he was this week, which is really saying something because he was scorching this week. Not everybody was scorching this week, though. Not everybody was Bobby Witt Jr. level of hot. (laughs) Many people were the exact opposite of that. They were, um, what are we going to call it, ice cold? They were what it feels like when you sit down on a toilet seat in the middle of February and it's like 6 a.m. and you just woke up and you're like, oh, uh, uh, ah!" that sort of level of cold we're talking about here. Mike, tell us about somebody who really needs to pick it up because they had a rough week this
1: week. Well, I'm going to talk about Taylor Clark, but he's more of a microcosm of what the bullpen was this week. And I could have talked about Pioms. I could have talked about Snyder was maybe not this week, but last week had a, had a rough time, Uh 1.2 innings pitch for Taylor Clark, six hits, four earned runs. And it looked like kind of coming in or early on in the year that Taylor Clark was like a sneaky, really good signing and he still could be, but now it's looking like maybe some of those guys are wearing down or maybe they're not the pitcher, the role that we thought like maybe he isn't a multiple inning guy, or maybe he's, not a guy you bring in like the whole thing they're talking about with Snyder being guys on base versus clean innings. Like he can't, he can't come in with a clean inning because then he gives up a bunch of runs. He comes in with guys on base. He doesn't, I think that's most likely just fluky, but you know, we're kind of figuring out more what Taylor Clark is and that might not be a great thing.
0: Yeah. For guys like Clark, I think guys like him, as I watch him more and more gets me questioning the notion of two pitch relievers. Like I know we're like, Hey, if you're two pitches, you're in the bullpen. Should we even be letting guys, unless you have two dominant pitches, should we be letting guys into the bullpen too? It's like, I, if I'm a team right now, what I'm doing is I'll say, okay, if you have two dominant pitches as a reliever, you can be in the bullpen. Guys like Dylan Coleman, guys like Josh Stamont can be in the bullpen. If you're not that, if those, if your pitches aren't that level of dominant, if both pitches aren't and for Clark, his slider is dominant, but his fastball is not, then you need to have a third pitch. You need to be like Gabe Spire. Gabe Spire has three pitches. He doesn't throw the third one all that often, but have that third pitch or, or like Barlow. Barlow has three really good pitches. Well, two really good pitches and a fastball. Um, and so and that is sort of what's allowing them to be more successful. I love the idea of multi-pitch, more than two-pitch relievers. And that's just what seeing Taylor Clark's terrible week makes me think of.
1: There are two former Royals that I kind of come to mind when you tell me that. One of them was a fantastic reliever. The other one had two really, I think two really solid years as a reliever. That's Joaquin Soria. He was a multi-pitch guy. He was a four-pitch guy a lot of times. Jeff Montgomery was too. Um, And then Luke Hochaver going from a starter into that role, always through at least three pitches. How and about so, Wade Davis?
0: Wade Davis had a fastball, a cutter has. and a curveball. You know, like yeah. he had a changeup. He, he scrapped it when he became a, a reliever, but he had three pitches that he now, could throw.
1: Common thread there is that Hochaver and Wade Davis were both starters.
0: Well, yeah. Um, and that's what most you know. relievers are. They're mostly, you know, starters who don't make it. And they're usually starters who don't develop enough quality pitches we need to start thinking in terms of like, maybe there are some guys we can find who are multi-pitch relievers, guys who can throw at least three, because if you don't have those two dominant, and it's hard for two pitches to stay dominant for long stretches of time. This is why one of the reasons I think bullpen guys are so volatile. It's hard for both pitches to stay dominant for many years on end, especially your fastball. We've seen that fastball velocity can start to wane. And if well, that happens, where do you go? And so it's not, it's not just it's velocity. Great if you though. can also have good spin, good slider, good breaking balls, other things like that.
1: It's not just velocity though. You have those two dominant pitches and they'll have, you know, it's easy to, okay, it's got good spin rates. It's got good break, all that stuff. But can you consistently locate it year after year after year And then it's like, okay, well, if you can't do that now, every team's coming up going, we're not swinging at that one. Mm -hmm. We're just not going to swing at it. So I'll just sit there and look at this other one. If they can, if you only have two pitches and they can eliminate one that day, you're screwed. This is the major leagues people. (laughs) This is, this
0: is, this is the very thing Brady Singer. It can happen in smaller doses too, right? This is the very thing Brady Singer was dealing with as a starter can happen as a reliever too. If I'm facing Taylor Clark, I don't even look for fastballs. I just sit on sliders because or or the converse, the, the opposite of that, I don't swing at any of his sliders. I just look for that fastball because it's not very good. It's not as good as his, as his slider is. And so it's just the thing I think about, like, what, looking forward, I'm going to sort of track and loosely pay attention to what are the two-pitch relievers looking like? What are the multi-pitch relievers or the three-pitch relievers looking like? And, and how can we sort of talk about how the Royals might build a bullpen in the future that has a little bit more sustainability to it?
1: I'm going to tell you one guy you can really look at here. Look at Stalmont. Look at those days when you can tell he's a little tired mm-hmm. and we see two or three mile per hour come off of that fastball. Well, that's no longer an elite pitch if you're if you, you throw it as straight as he does and he's and no so, longer an
0: elite pitcher. you know he's yeah. the, the strikeouts aren't there those days. He might get mm-hmm. you know a uh, contact outs, but he's the strikeouts aren't there on those days and those are the days he usually gets roughed up too if we're being honest. like the days he's coming out blowing smoke with a really good curveball, sure, he looks great. but when it's 96 97 with a good, good curveball, it's a little bit different. Another guy who's not living 96.97 right now is uh, Zach Granke and he, <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's having a,
1: alone. he's having
0: a little trouble as a result of that or maybe as a result of an injury we talked a little bit about it earlier but he might have a, a hurt elbow and we're going to see more on that probably tomorrow that'll be Monday May 30th. He had a really rough week last week. He went seven and two thirds, gave up 11 hits, 12 earned runs, five home runs. The five run bug really hurt or the home run bug really hurt him this week. But he also very uncharacteristically gave up five walks in those seven and two thirds. That's not him. He doesn't do that very often. He, he got seven strikeouts, which was decent for him, which was actually good for him. But those walks and those home runs were killer for him. It was not a great week for Zach Granke this week. Arizona was never going to be a great place for him to pitch. And so that was part of it, I think. But then he looked really bad in Minnesota today too. We'll see what word is on that injury. Could just be that regression is hitting him. When you throw 88, 89, you never really can count on yourself being a dominant pitcher anymore. No matter how good your command is. And so it could just be that the regression bug bit him, or it could be that he's having trouble with his elbow and we'll see what happens if if he can't go anymore, who they replace him with in that rotation.
1: Yeah. The, the four, the five walks is a little bit, deceiving and that all four of them came against Arizona. Now Zach Grinky having four walks in a single game is almost unheard of. But yeah, you said it right. I always kind of wondered when the weather starts to heat up, is Zanky or is Grinke going to be the guy that we saw at the beginning? Because it seemed a little unsustainable. I we were talking earlier today, it's like he kind of needs several conditions to be going his way that day to be a guy that can be extremely effective. Are the ballpark conditions really good? Are the Does his pitcher profile match up against the lineup he's going against really well? Those types of things. And uh, that definitely didn't happen to him this week. He, he yeah, wasn't great, and those weren't in his favor.
0: Yeah, he wasn't great, and those weren't in his favor. And he needs other things like, is the umpire going to give him stuff off the edges? You know, is he going to pitch in Kaufman? I don't think it's a coincidence that both his games were on the road this week, and he didn't pitch very well. And I, I also don't think it's a coincidence that things like, He didn't have Michael A. Taylor in center at all this week. And, you know, he didn't pitch very well. We'll see. I'm holding out hope that maybe he's not hurt or that he, you know, I never want anybody to be hurt, but hopefully he can bounce back next week if he isn't hurt and start finding those, that command he had previously, start really leaning on his defense, start making starts at home. Love a nice home stretch after that Cleveland series. Hopefully that gets him back on track and he can sort of be that league average to maybe slightly worse than league average pitcher, who's a little bit reliable to some degree. But the week performances don't have me down right now. Right now, I'm actually riding a little bit high about the Royals because I watched an entire week of competitive baseball, and that's all I've been looking for. I'm just looking for competitive baseball, which brings me to my theme for the week, hope the hard way. That's what my theme for the week. I have hope, but I'm getting to it the hard way because I have to watch the front office make decisions that I don't agree with and watch things that they're sort of putting obstacles to me having hope like by not promoting Vinny Pasquantino, which we'll talk about here in a second by constantly not playing guys. I think they should by constantly playing guys, they shouldn't and things like that. I have to get to hope the hard way, but I've gotten there. I'm, I'm at hope as I'm watching this offense score runs. I'm at hope as I'm watching John Heasley and Daniel Lynch and, uh, Brady Singer have good starts and things like that. It is a hopeful thing. A bullpen blowing a lead, man, that doesn't really concern me that much, right? Because bullpens are volatile because I think this bullpen has talent and all those sorts of things, but I'm getting to hope it's just happening the hard way.
1: Yeah. And I am I may not probably be as quite as hopeful as you are right now, but I'm going with, for my theme, a new Royals, because it really started to dawn on me this week that the next Royal iteration of the Royals is going to be quite different from the last Royals, successful Royals teams. So, if you're a person who's more of a casual fan and you think that this next team that's going to be winning is going to be doing it the old-fashioned way, you're you're wrong. It's that's not how it's going to be. <laughs> no, I think we've started to see the transition offensively to a new style of offense for the Royals. Now, are they going to be mashers? No, because they can't afford mashers. Come at a premium price, and you can't really afford those things although Melendez looks like he's going to have power, Bobby Witt Jr. looks like he will. And, you know, they'll they'll hit for some power, but that new approach to hitting is a breath of fresh air. And I think that's going to come for the pitching staff eventually as well. They'll have their kind of turnover and their revelation and they'll become a, a different style of pitching staff. So I don't think we're going to see the old fashioned Royals in the next the next winning window. I think it's going to be a brand new style of baseball. And that's really what I'm looking for.
0: Oh, what's interesting is that pitching change or that pitching revolution for them looks like it already is happening just really slowly and in an yeah. unconventional way, right? It's happening because guys are getting sent down to AAA, working with the pitching coaches down there. And like, it's almost like they're that, that revolution is coming from either outside the organization with guys like Daniel Lynch and what they're doing in the off season or in AAA with what guys are doing with Dane Johnson. And so you see Brady Singer gets sent down, develops that changeup, comes up. He's striking out like nine, 10 guys per nine, walking less than two guys per nine innings. Right now, Brady Singer is walking, actually was walking less than a guy and a half per nine innings. And so he's becoming this type of, you know, uh, pitcher who isn't like a pitch to contact kind of guy. He's, he's out there just doing the stuff that sort of 21st century pitching philosophies think should be done. John Heasley, another guy who he's a back end guy. So he's always going to sort of, you know, not be a huge strikeout guy in the major leagues maybe, but he's, you know, meant to be limiting walks. He looks like the next iteration. Lynch looks like the next iteration of a, of a Royals pitcher. And so it's just sort of, I think a matter of time as, as things happen, that that pitching revolution will come, but you're absolutely right. This team looks so much different than the 14, 15 Royals, because they're not going to try and do it. Like teams did it back in the eighties. They're going to be taking good walks, getting good, having good plate appearances, mashing balls that they can mash, doing it with power. It might be doubles and triples power, but they're going to have some power in this lineup, especially when Prado and Pascantino get here.
1: And that's what I was just going to say. I think every time a new guy comes up, it takes us one step closer to that. Oh, absolutely. There's another guy in the lineup that doesn't do what that Royals team did in fifth, fourteen, 14, 13, 14, and 15. Because those were guys, and they used to say it all the time on the broadcast, They put more balls in play than any team in Major League Baseball. And then they, you know, it's like all this stuff. They take the fewest walks and have the fewest home runs, but we still win games. It's like, this is nuts. But
0: (laughs) Well, the question offensively now is not like how many balls do you put in play or or any of that. It's how much do you swing? Like how frequently do you swing as a team? The Royals, since Alex Zumble has taken over, have swung a lot less or at least a lot less at pitches in the shadow. And I'm going to give credit to David Lesky for putting that out on Twitter the other day. Uh, There's an area of the strike zone and just outside the strike zone known categorized as the shadow by baseball savant. They're, they're swinging about 10% less at balls in the shadow under Alex Zumwalt than they did previously. If you swing less at bad pitches or at pitchers pitches, you're going to have more success. If you swing more at pitches in the heart and hit those harder, you're going to have more success. And that's what they're doing right now. It's a different philosophy than the, have a ton of plate coverage, put the balls in play and run like hell type of stuff. But it, honestly, it works better in the modern game.
1: Yeah. That's what I was just going to clarify for those of you that are like, what, what does that kind of mean? The shadow anytime on a broadcast, they say a pitcher's pitch. Then that's what we mean by the shadow. Like those yeah, things located the on face. the
0: outside, outer edge of the strike zone or just outside that, you know? Yeah. And so they're leaving those pitches away. And if you follow us on Twitter, which you should at Royals weekly, You'll know, you'll know that I, I put out a tweet, tweet thread a, a while back that talked about how poorly the Royals did hitting balls in the heart of the plate and then swinging at balls in the shadow. They don't do well. No team does well swinging at balls in the shadow. They were swinging at balls in the shadow more than most teams, and it hurts them really badly. And so Zumwalt's approach, this sort of which they talk about on the broadcast a lot, you know, it's don't swing at pitches you can't hit hard swing at pitches. You can hit hard. Well, that's, that's what that strategy is. You can't hit pitches in the shadow hard. You can pop them up. You can put them in play weekly, but you can't hit them hard. And so stop swinging at them. And that's really the success that they're having getting guys to stop swinging at pitches in the shadow and swing in the heart. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, We'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary, so check that out. Earlier this week, the Kansas City Stars' Sam McDowell wrote a column that sparked a... I guess we'll call it a robust reaction from the Royals' Twitterverse. It was a little bit combustible at times. We'll call it robust, though. That sounds better. In response to a line from the piece that claims that Royals' scouts don't think Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado are ready... Royals Farm Report, an outlet we love and support and occasionally collaborate with, reacted with the following statement. And this is a quote. It said, there is a 0% chance that this is true. None, zero, false, a lie. The Royals are lying to you. They need Santana to recoup some trade value, and they're unwilling to give up on Ryan O'Hearn. Those are the facts. Anything else is outright bamboozlery. Love that word. Fictitious, fake news. The scouts are saying the Pascantino and Prado aren't ready. The Royals report Farm Report guys are saying that's crap. I tend to agree with the Royals Farm Report guys on that statement. I think it's completely uh, misinformation and spin on the part of the Royals. But this sparked an entire day's worth of snark and criticism of the front office, scouts, and so forth. I, of course, got my shots in where I could, uh, but I'd like to... S- <laughs> You got to, you got to mess around on them. You got to take your shot mess around on the Twitter right for a while.
1: That's what it's for. I mean, that's what it's for. We
0: designed Twitter for this purpose to get your take shots, pot
1: shots at people in power. Let's do it. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's what the revolution will not be televised. It'll be on Twitter, but I'd like to spend a little bit more time sort of considering that notion. And on the subject of Vinny Pascantino and Nick Prado and why they aren't up yet. I think it's a good Kickstarter to talking about front office decision-making as a whole, especially around promotions. So Mike, why do you think Vinny, Vinny and Nikki P aren't up yet? And what, what's the real reason? I mean, what's the real reason they aren't up yet?
1: Yeah, so you, there are a million ways to think about this. And that's what, what's so crazy. But a lot of them are contradictory to each other, right? It's possible that the Royals don't actually want to win. And this has been posited by other people on Twitter or in other arenas. But I have a hard time believing that because here's how one. Okay. Let's see where it all starts. The Royals have always told us we are always going to try to win. Okay. Some of the things that they do, like not bringing up Vinny Pasquantino or Nick Prado don't support that giving consistent at-bats to Ryan O'Hearn or Carlos Santana. These things don't support the idea that you want to win right now, or let's just say this. Also, if you say that, then you're doing a really, really bad job at it because you're not winning hardly ever. And so, there's that. Well, then let's say, okay, if they maybe they're just PRing it and they have to tell you that they want to win and all that stuff. Okay, but they really don't want to. Well, then some of the things that they're doing don't make sense with that either. Not tanking doesn't make sense either, right? Because they're doing things like not trading Benintendi or Whit Merrifield when when they could have, or all of these other things. And you're going, wait, so a lot of the moves that they make fit this one decision. And a lot of, and some other ones fit this one decision. So what does that evidence ultimately support for me that they don't really have a coherent plan? That's the, That's the problem. What it is. That is the like,
0: ultimate nail on the head, and right? So
1: there. If, if you want to say, okay, well, why do you think, what's the real reason that Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado aren't up? I would say it's because the Royals don't have a coherent plan, or if they do, they're very poor at executing it.
0: I, I got to say it's the first because it wouldn't be hard to execute. It's not like it's difficult to execute a coherent plan. If you have it at the major league level, you know, you're making roster decisions. The second you say this dude needs to come up, he's up, you know, it's not, it's, there's not like a, you know, he doesn't have to go lift a, a, a an SUV or something in order to make Vinny Pasquantino get on this team. Well, you yeah, have to yes, literally go pick him up and walk him to Kansas city. You know, it's, this isn't like, and so. Your that, notion that they, the they don't have a good end up plan. happening
1: though, could, could make a, Could create problems as well. So if you don't do it right, if you don't execute it right, and you're bringing that guy up, well, now you have other problems on your roster. You have other problems getting rid of guys that you don't really need or shouldn't have in the first place. And so then it becomes like, okay, not only do we look bad because we have these extra stuff, but also it was inefficiency of our spending dollars and inefficiency of our capital, be it, you know, whatever, whatever ways you have players or money. Here's why I think it's not an execution
0: problem, because an execution problem would mean like they were doing something and those something wasn't working. So maybe they're making trades and they're not getting back good enough value, or maybe they're bringing guys up and they're, you know, not quite ready, but that, but that's not really part of the plan. They're, they're just, they're doing nothing. A lot of the time, a lot of their big issue is they're just doing nothing. So they're losing value on Benintendi every day that they don't trade him, for example. To me, that's just the notion that they don't have a coherent plan. Like, And, and this has been said in, in other places that they sort of have a foot in two different camps of what they want to do. Well, what that means is they don't have a what they want to do. Like we could say like, oh, they're maybe they're of two minds. It's not like they have a warring front office. It's not like their front office has like multiple camps in it or anything like that. We know. Or at least it shouldn't.
1: They've been together for
0: That's what I'm saying. We know that this group of people has been together for a really long time. It is basically a cult of personality underneath Dayton Moore. That's what it really is. And so if that's the case, we have to say that maybe it's just that they don't have what we would consider a long-term, detailed, coherent plan that they put in place years ago, that they're really just running the steps of the playbook on that plan now. They're not doing that right now. If they were, we would see that plan emerge in the actions that they take i don't ever even listen to the things that front office coaches players whoever say it is the biggest waste of your time don't listen to like dayton moore jj piccolo mike Matheny. It, it's a complete waste of time you will it's it's like why listen to a misinformation campaign i'm only going to run myself in circles trying. To, i i watch what they do that's what matters and what they do fits no coherent plan whatsoever like for example putting Bobby Witt Jr. in the majors leagues to start the year and then not doing things like calling up Vinny Pasquantino when he's ready, trading Santana last year in the middle of the season, dumping Ryan O'Hearn. All these things are in, in Congress. They, they don't make sense together as a plan. Those are actions, not words. I don't care about their words. Their words mean nothing to me. I care about their actions and their actions say, we don't have a plan for what we're doing.
1: Bobby Witt Jr. coming to the majors is, is the signal that we want to win today right? Yeah. That to me,
0: that's the starting gun.
1: You got to go because now your clock
0: starts. We got them for five, six years and then it's over, right? Like then we're moving on.
1: Or yeah, likely. And so like you cannot do that and then be non-transactional in any way and say, well, we're trying to win now or we're we're playing for the next six years. Like you you can't do that. That's those things don't go together. Another thing that doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to throw this in there because you haven't mentioned it yet. Vinnie Pasquantino projected for a 137 weighted runs created plus going forward. Th- that's in the, is, in, that's the in the major leagues in the major leagues. He's projected
0: yeah. to have a 137 weighted runs created plus 37% better than league average in the major leagues. He is what he's
1: projected for. Right. And
0: that's 26th in all of baseball
1: In all of baseball. The guy you have there currently is batting doesn't bat his weight. And so <laughs> like, you can't say we're trying to win now. Well, you can't say we're playing for the future either. Cause we haven't gotten rid of any, we, we started the year with Andrew Benintendi and Carlos Santana. And you can't defend that and say, well, the plan is this. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's not that.
0: Or well, the they- weird thing is the weird thing is playing for the future and winning now are actually the same plan right now. Like they all, they, they're the same actions. If you were playing for the future, you would promote Vinny Pascantino and maybe Nick Prado. If you were trying to win now. You would promote Vinny Pascantino or maybe Nick Prado. This is why I think there is no coherent plan, not a long-term one. Maybe there's a short-term plan and the short-term plan is like get value out of Carlos Santana, make Ryan O'Hearn better, whatever. That's a short-term plan, but they have no coherent long-term plan because if they did, they would be making these decisions because those decisions fit whatever long-term plan you're trying to do. Because I can't imagine a long-term plan other than be better right now or get better for the future. What's, What's the other plan? There are no other plans. That's it. One of the things that I think kicked up a lot of a lot of questions and a lot of emotions around that McDowell piece, and I do want to give credit to Sam McDowell for writing a great opinion piece, and I do want to mention that Royals Farm Report's response was not to the response to him. They were not calling him a liar or him. like They were just claiming that the spin from the front office was untrue. Was, was, it wasn't true that he was ready. They, they were very clear to sort of make that distinction on their Twitter account, and I want to echo that distinction here. I think Sam McDowell wrote a great piece that stirred up a bunch of thought and discourse, which is what an opinion columnist is supposed to do. Do. but the thing that drew a lot of ire was the notion that scouts didn't think they were ready, right? The Royal scouts seem to think that they aren't ready uh, and identified a couple key things in McDowell's piece as to why for Prado, it was the swing and miss those his swing and miss is actually less than say some of the other people they brought up. And for Vinnie Pascantino, it's his performance against one pitch in particular. Like, what do you think of the notion of one pitch in one spot, keeping Vinnie Pasquantino from major league baseball?
1: Farting noise. I can't really make one. So that's it. right think, um, Farting no, I noise. Hoop emoji. I'm Hoop just going to speak in emojis. Uh, no, I want to say one thing though. I want you to think why the Royals front office might put that on the scouts, right? Because who can't you talk to who right. can't you interview who isn't public? The scouts, there's no, there is no, um, way to dive into that with that person.
0: Right. They can talk to the scouts, but the scouts aren't going to go on record. And most of yeah. the time, it's really hard to talk to them anyway. And either yeah. way, they're not going to go on record with you. Exactly. And so, of course, so, you know, like, yeah, the scouts think this. And I'm guessing yeah. McDowell talked to scouts and they, they were just like, yeah, I'll tell you this, but it's not on the record. And so all he has to, he has to report it as like a general feeling amongst some people, you know. And yeah. of course, that will all be okayed by the Royals front office. This, exactly. this came out not, not like as like, ooh, McDowell, you know, I'm guessing this got okayed by the front office in some way.
1: Yeah, it had to have. So Vinny can't hit one pitch in one spot. I I have yet to see a pitcher be able to throw one there then because he's (laughs) crushing, (laughs) you know, he's killing the ball so much. Like now let's check it out. Let's bring it up to Major League Baseball. And if he actually can't, Major League Baseball will expose it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. if, If how do they know that? Like, how do you know that if he's crushing? You know what I'm saying? Like right. You got. This is the notion that maybe he has a hole in his swing. Then, right? Mm-hmm. He's got a spot that he can't hit a baseball if it's in this spot. Well, no AAA pitchers can throw it in that spot because he's crushing the ball down there. So I don't. I don't buy that. I don't buy it.
0: Well, I I buy that they might have a like a data point that's like okay he's hitting, you know, two ten on sliders down and in from right-handers or something like that. I buy that like something like that exists. Here's the problem if he's really good at laying off those pitches, doesn't matter, right? Like you would have to find a pitcher who could throw a slider down and in every single time to the precise place that he wants to. And then Pascantino would have to literally not be able to touch it because eventually he's going to know, Oh, he's throwing me a slider down and in, I'm going to cheat to get to that slider. The thing is one pitch in one spot. There are lots of guys who can't hit one pitch in one spot. at real with really good numbers. Go look at Go Look at anybody on the royals. Go look at Bobby Witt Jr. against fastballs right now. Can't hit him, hitting 211. How about, how against
1: about him. sliders against Salvi down and away? The guy has oh, never yeah. been able to hit him. I can't hit him. a
0: slider down and away, never could. <laughs> he hit 48 home runs last year, and so that if that's the thing that's keeping him from the major leagues, that makes no sense. And I know that the royals know that that makes no sense. They just need a justification for keeping him down, right? They need that justification, don't know why they need it makes no sense to me, but because I actually agree with the Royals farm report guys, I think that they're trying to recoup some value for Santana and move him and stuff like that. Stupid, stupid idea. It makes no sense, but I guess we're going to sacrifice Vinny Pascantino's development and all that sort of stuff to get, you know, a long shot middle relief prospect for Carlos Santana, but it's one of those things that they needed a few justifications for it. The Prado thing makes a little bit more sense if you're concerned about the K rate, you shouldn't be concerned about the swing and miss rate. It's not that bad. The K rate is bad, but we know why. And it, it, so to me, it's just an, un, it sort of indicates like the way that they articulate what they're seeing sometimes makes me think that they don't actually understand what's going to make somebody ready to move between
1: levels. If that makes sense. Yeah. And you watch his at bats, you watch his approach. You say, Hey, this guy has an advanced approach now what you will say is he strikes out too much. And the, the crazy thing, I think you mentioned this, maybe that he's one of the only Royals hitters you would say probably needs to swing a little bit more. Like there's some pitches that he lays off and takes for strikes that he shouldn't. And, and, it, and then what that ends is, it puts him in a lot of two strike counts and there. So, so his strikeout numbers are a little higher, but he's not swinging and missing a lot. He's just taking more strikes than you probably would want him to.
0: And who do I want him working on that with Alex Zumwald? Exactly. <laughs> I want him in major league baseball working on that problem. Now I'm fine with giving him another week or two to get in a real groove and then bring him up. I, I like guys to have that kind of momentum coming up into the major leagues, but don't tell me it's a swing and miss. Cause that's incorrect. And don't tell me that when you've brought up guys with worse swing and miss, like Bobby witt jr had worse swing and miss when they brought him up i think or roughly the same swing and miss melendez was was slightly worse
1: than his yeah (laughs)
0: and so it's like what are we talking about here you know that's not the reason don't don't lie to me like be honest and tell me why you're actually not bringing him up i think that's what's getting a lot of people is the dishonesty coming on the back of really bad baseball play yeah that's what it is it feels like you're lying to the fan base and they they were lying to
1: us like we would never, like we, wouldn't like, oh,
0: we wouldn't care. We wouldn't care. The chiefs yeah. lie to their fan base all the time, right? We wouldn't care that they're lying to us. If they were winning, the fact that they're lying to us when we're, when they're losing makes it sound like they're insulting our intelligence. Stop it. Just tell the truth or just say nothing. Try saying nothing. That's fine too. But either way, it's not the swing and miss. And it's not because one pitch is in one spot that Vinny Pasquantino can't hit.
1: And people will, some people might be thinking like, Oh, you guys just want to bring up everybody. No, that's not the case. Like, We, we like to see prospects. We like to see winning baseball, but like Jackson Kowar is a great example. He's had some really, really good outings. And in no way do I think that Jackson Kowar is ready to come back up and pitch in major league baseball. Carlos Hernandez was really good today. He still needs to be down there. Like Carlos Hernandez has not fixed the, just because he struck out five guys in five innings today or whatever, doesn't mean he has fixed the problems that sent him to triple a. (laughs) So There's a lot, and, and Coar needs to gain some confidence still and, and be down there for a little while longer. And I get that, but these two guys are.
0: There's nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing left at AAA. Right. Yeah. Unless you really
1: and so, want them to get to that AAA all-star
0: game or something. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, really want them in the futures game. It's so weird when guys who are that good and that established and should be in the major leagues are in the futures game like that. Like yeah. it's a weird thing. Everybody's like, Why is this guy here? And that's that's what's interesting, is like other scouts are like, Why are these guys still here? Like Alec Lewis has has interviewed um, other scouts a little bit and they're like why, we don't know why, like opposing team scouts, we don't know why Pasquantino and Prado are still in AAA. It makes no sense to us. They should be in the major leagues. It's just our scouting department. It seems to think, no, nah, those guys need, need more time in AAA. But what's interesting to me, and the thing I sort of want to make this as a broader issue is, the, the thing I, that concerns me is, it doesn't seem to me like the Royals understand the distinction between what makes a guy overall successful in the minor leagues. Like, oh, he's got a good batting average and good stuff like this and what will make them successful at the next level. We've seen them promote guys who had overall successful numbers and things like that, but these big red flags in terms of their numbers or their characteristics. Brady Singer is a great example. The fact that they promoted him because he was having success in the minors, even though he was a two-pitch pitcher, insanity. Insanity. No other team would do that. They did right. Other guys, Adabo Tramondesi, he was having good top end numbers, but his strikeout numbers were too high. His plate discipline was garbage. It makes me think like, do they actually know what it takes, what it's gonna take to translate from minor league baseball to major league baseball? Because I have worries that they don't. Should we worry about this in in question form? Should we worry about this as a systemic issue with the Royals?
1: I, I think that we have to. I think I think you have to when you've seen it as regularly as we've seen that, right? And I actually think that it's getting better, though. I think that as the, the sort of hitting system structures that they changed in minor league baseball and now at the major league level, I think are fixing some of those problems on the hitting side. And I am f- hoping that we're not seeing it on the pitching side anymore as much either. I know COVID kind of threw a wrench and stuff, and it was kind of weird, but they're not moving Ace Lacy super fast. They're not moving. I mean, on Hell Zerpa, they sent him back down to double A. You know, they're they're not moving uh, Drew Parrish really quickly, even though he's had a lot of success.
0: We'll see. Uh, Alec I put out a Marsh. tweet, out a tweet like 20 months ago right saying, if I were going to promote anybody to fill Zach Grinkey's spot right now, like a spot start, I'd do Drew Parrish.
1: Get the <laughs> hell out of here. No. I
0: did it. I did it. I said it. Well, what's the option? Do you bring no. up Kowar, Hernandez, or Rubich who need to stay in triple-A? I,
1: I would rather have Hernandez come up and do a spot start than nah. mess up, than have them do what they did with – Hernandez again because <laughs> what's yeah, is pro- well, there's a huge... come up, he'll have two decent starts, and they'll th- well. He's a, he's gonna be a rotation guy now. No, he needs to be in the minor leagues developing. Okay, one don't make one, the same mistakes you've made in the past.
0: One, I just like to stir up a uh, you know, you know me, I love to poke a bee's nest. Is that what they're called? Nests, a bee's hive. Yeah, I like to <laughs> just poke a beehive. Um, but two. I think there's a difference because I think Parrish's game fits the MLB level a lot better than Hernandez has ever did. And so like the fact that he has much better command, I think will help him make that transition easier, but that's another topic altogether. Well, You're that's right. like,
1: I, I could see them trying to do it to Alec Marsh since he's had a, a little bit longer stretch of success in this first half, but no, no, because, don't no, do because it. I would never uh-huh. do it
0: with Marsh, 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 Marsh would be the same decisions they've made in the past, which is like, Let's take guys who are having some overall success. Now, his is mostly like K-rate success because he's actually giving up runs. His, his ERA isn't good in double A. But Parrish, his whip is good. He doesn't walk guys. He's got good command. Two really quality secondary pitches. You know, I think he's the type of guy who could come give you a couple of good starts in the major leagues and then go back to triple A because he needs to be promoted anyway to AAA. It's ready, it's time for him to be promoted. But I would do it just because I like to you know, stir up the storm a little bit, but uh, and uh we need
1: content when it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, no, no, I think it would work,
0: but we'll see if, uh, if they end up doing it, but you're right. They do typically have this issue, I think of just not being able to identify what markers are going to make a guy successful at the next level, especially from the transition to AAA to the majors. And they talk about, well, that's a really tough transition and guys, you know, it's like, are you making excuses for your own failures right now? Is, is that what you're doing? Like that, that seems to be what they're doing a lot. Of, well, it's just really tough. It's like tough for you. Like it's tough for really tough for you. Yeah, But like other teams have success doing it. Like why can't you identify what will make guys successful when they transition from AAA to the major leagues? So that's a question they need to be asking as a front office right now. The boys in blue head to Cleveland to finish off their nine game road trip before coming home for a three game set against the Houston Astros this week. Mike, tell us about the Cleveland guardians, your second favorite baseball team.
1: Why are they my second favorite? They're I don't know. I literally, I literally
0: just made it up off the top of my head. Who's like, your honestly, second favorite team?
1: Toronto, Toronto, oh. such an exciting team to watch offensively. Right. They're, they're, I'll probably uh, still uh, go uh, with the Cubs as my second favorite team. Yeah. You've been a Cubs fan. Thanks WGN. Uh mm-hmm. But no, we got uh, we just saw Cleveland not that long ago, so they're they're struggling a little bit too, like we thought they would. They don't have the dominant starting pitching that they once had, although Shane Bieber is back and, and looks pretty good. Uh, the not first really. game will be is he not pitching really well? His velocity is way against. down. I knew that, but he still looked pretty good against us, throwing a ton of breaking pitches early in the year. So yeah,
0: I don't know, I haven't looked at his overall numbers. That was, pretty, his, that was pretty his velocity rewarding. is worrying people that he
1: might be hurt. Um, but the first game this this uh set is John Heasley, my boy. Against uh, Zach Plezak, who has had some good years with Cleveland, but is not having a good year this year. 27 year old right hander. He started eight games and he's got a four, 5.4 ERA, 1.43 whip. His fastball is down into the low 90s this year. He does have a four pitch mix, but the numbers on the secondary pitches are pretty bad as well. Uh, but we're very, we're, we're used to him. We've seen him quite a few times. Same with this next guy. Lynch will go against uh, Cal Quantrill. I can never say his name. Quantrell.
0: Yes, it's Quantrill.
1: Quantrill in the last game, which I'm a history guy, so I should know that name. Uh, 27-year-old right-hander out of Stanford. He's doing a little bit better, 3.42 ERA, uh, fastball at 93, cutter changeup, mostly fastball cutter guy. Uh, he throws those combined about 90% of the time. In the third game, it's a guy I never heard of. Brad Keller will go against Connor Pilkington. Pilkington, I think, 20- it was
0: in that 2018 cl- class. He was a, a guy when he came out. He, he had a lot of of success in college baseball at Mississippi State. They were like, hey, he's a really high floor guy, should move quickly to the majors, won't be great as a, as a, as a major league starter, but he might be a back-end guy, pretty sure about that sort of
1: thing. Yeah, well, he's, he's got a pretty good ERA. He's only got two starts. Uh, he was in the bull, he'd thrown out of the bullpen a little bit, 3.75 ERA, but the other numbers don't look that good. He's got a 1.7 or 6.7 whip. Uh, he's a, a not a high velocity guy. He's got a changer and slide up as well from the, or changer, change up and slider. No, I like
0: changer and slide up. Those are better. <laughs> let's, let's let's start a ah, revolution I'm, to change the language of so, it. changer, you. slide up. It that actually sounds, sounds bo- both of those actually do sound cooler than those other ones. So yeah, <laughs> I just threw him a wicked changer, bro. Yeah.
1: Uh, but he throws that fastball 63% of the time and it gets hit a lot. And uh, so it looks like th- those may be some opportunities to score some more runs. And we have a lot of familiarity with the first two guys in please and Quantrill and uh, hopefully we can get some wins. That's a series against a team. That's I think somewhat the e- equal to the Royals and we need to, uh, they do a uh, frame Reyes is hurt right now too. Uh, and out of the lineup. So, uh, but they do have Naylor back and he's looked, looked okay. So.
0: I will say about Pilkington, that fastball, he he's a dude who's in need of a pitch mix change because he throws the fastball 63% of the time. Guys are hitting 308 against it. He's got like a 349 slugging against on that pitch, I think, but the expected slugging is 649. So he's waiting for somebody to get better numbers against that fastball. Hopefully it's the Royals, hopefully it's Bobby Wood Jr., Sal Perez, and those guys just pounding it out of the park. Because 92, not all that tough to hit. Well, for me it is, but for actual <laughs> major league players they can get it done after the guardians, the the Royals get to come back home. For a nice long stretch of home home games, they're going to face Houston though in that first series. Cheater, oh. <laughs> I was already going to drop in a trash can joke. What are you doing with that with that little number there?
1: A little Sorry, cheater totally cough. Your, you're going totally, with a cheater cough. Yeah, That's totally what you're going with. I just went with the easy one. You know, totally uh, ruined your trash can joke. Sorry, I know. You should have had Thanks. It in the for outline. Thanks. Insert trash can joke. I uh,
0: to... It is in the outline. Is Pay attention. Really? Yeah, learn to I, read. I okay. Read learn learn how to read.
1: I didn't, I didn't do the homework teacher I all right do the homework.
0: houston is 30 and 18 that's good enough to lead the aos by three and a half games right now jose altuve is having an incredible year here's the joke no word on if if there are any trash cans involved in that and i feel like that's better than your tra- cheaters nah, right, cough i'm just on. gonna do the joke clean right now jose altuve is having an incredible year no water no word if there are any trash cans involved in that Boom. i feel like that would have hit but thanks mike for for undercutting me there uh the real story out of houston though is, is this rookie they have jeremy pena he's hitting 291 with a 342 on base and a 496 slugging that's good for an 838 ops he is leading the race for al rookie of the year the race that we want bobby Wood jr to win but right now pena looks damn good as a shortstop who can hit for power get on base Houston knows how to develop players. So they found a guy in Jeremy Pena, who I don't know if he ever made a top 100 list. I've never heard of him until this year. And yet this guy comes out and is just crushing the ball, playing a good shortstop for them. Uh, That's what you love to see from a development program. I wish the Royals had more guys like that, but he's really good. They got Jordan Alvarez. They got Alex Bregman. Alvarez is having a good year. Bregman's having a solid year. That lineup is good. If anything, the pitching staff is better though. Go look at their rotation. And they have like three guys with ERAs under three. Under three led by 170 year old Justin Verlander, who I believe was the guy who plays like um Father Time on Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time.
1: You know, is, <laughs> he, is he the best pitcher of our generation?
0: It depends on what you call our generation, I of guess. That I mean,
1: generation of guys like I'm thinking okay, is it Clayton Kershaw? Is it there are him? three there are three is in it's, contention. Uh, it's
0: Kershaw, Scherzer, and Verlander. Verlander was there before Scherzer and Kershaw though. He is he he had a He was a superstar before they ever got to the major leagues. Yeah. He's had different phases to his career. And the fact that now he's learned to be an amazing and dominant pitcher. What is he? 39. Like he's 39. He doesn't throw 95 to 97 anymore. And he's got a nails wife. His wife is incredibly (laughs) gorgeous. I mean, does anybody have a better life than Justin Verlander? I doubt it. But anyway, he's got a two zero three ERA right now, which is incredible. Uh, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier are another two starting pitchers who were really killing it for them. Former Royal Jake Odorizzi is having a, a great year for them in, in seven starts as well with like a mid three ERA kind of a thing. But he is unfortunately on the 15 day injured list, real career resurgence for him. Shocking. They picked up a guy like Jake Odorizzi and he's having the best year of his career.
1: I mean, he's a guy that like a you know, pitch mix kind of guy, four pitches yeah. has to throw all of them kind of guy. So,
0: but they know how to maximize them in Houston, man. That's, yeah, that's how it are. goes. Maybe they have a trash can system for the pitching as well. Not really sure on that one. Uh, <laughs> see, I brought it back. I brought it back and was able to recover. Brought that's it back right. and was able
1: to recover. Okay. Everybody's forgotten the cough. Now it's that.
0: <laughs> we'll end this week's episode, like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball because Mike's a very interesting person. As we have established, Mike is probably going to be the subject of several biographies, I would imagine. And so many of them unauthorized. But we'll mm-hmm. see. You know, many by illegitimate children he has all across the country. You but know we'll it. See, we'll see, uh, we'll see how that ends up working out for him. But Mike, tell us about what's been exciting you, interesting to you outside the world of baseball this week.
1: First, when they came to me for those most interesting man in the world uh, commercials, I was just like, you know, this guy seems like he needs a little help, so help needs him. Needs work. This dude and needs. So work. I, I put that other guy out there, that silver fox, and uh, I just was like, yeah. You can, no, I stay on the underground here, but uh, for my just a bit outside, I'm going to give a hometown appreciation treat, tweet or tweet. This isn't a tweet. Hometown Are you stoned right now? What's <laughs> I'm, happening? Not stoned. I'm just really tired because we traveled this weekend. Uh, so Mark and I uh, went back home for the first time in a long time this weekend. Uh, home is Maryville, Missouri. So we went golfing at beautiful Mazingo Lake golf course. Highly awesome. recommend. Um, we ate at some of the local restaurants we hung out at the the bar the pub that our our buddy owns we got to see our friend Mickey and meet his kids again we hadn't met one of them ever see our good friend Ryan hadn't hadn't met his kids saw his house it was just great weather great people and there's a certain energy when we go back home that just kind of automatically hits you and maybe it's just because it's a college town I don't know but it was fantastic to get back to Maryville um Yeah, that's my hometown appreciation tweet. Love driving around
0: in the old hometown and just sort of feeling uh, in some ways out of place or feeling like, like, oh, this is all a little bit new to me in some ways because there's so much new stuff and it's all changed. And then there's like, oh. And then you pass the bowling alley that's been there for 700 years and you're like, Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, it's basically the same place. It's really uh, nice. You go yeah, into the pub
1: a, and it's the exact same as the last it's time. It's the same, there. which is
0: great. Love that feeling. Love to sit. And that's a, a, if you ever get a chance, go to the pub up in Maryville because it is just exactly what a bar should be. And so like, I, I love that place and nothing feels more hometown than, than walking into the pub and saying hi to people and that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, great to get back into the hometown. The Zingle Lake golf course. If you never played it, whoo, love it haven't played in a few years. Tremendously well kept golf course
1: and great Difficult, price man.
0: Oof. Great price. You can't get you can't get a better price for a golf course that good. I mean it is. It's just a, it's a, it's a labor of love for the community to keep that golf course great and 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 cheap enough for everybody in the community to play it. And so run by a friend of ours Kyle Easter who is just a wonderful golf pro and so it was great to get out there and play uh, some golf. I'm going to talk about something that we talked about while at the bar in Maryville, something that's hugely important to me. And that is the importance of media literacy. What a weird thing to talk about at a bar. I'm just now. I'm just now realizing. But Mike and I Man, were sitting I'm, at. A, does this
1: guy know how to party or what? This guy know how to a party
0: or what? <laughs> Mike and I were sitting at a bar on Friday night discussing the importance of media literacy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were
0: watching the Royals game and discussing media literacy. And I just want to sort of stress in your life, like. And the, the big mantra for me is don't watch your news, read your news, right? Like, and that's a, that's a big first step in gaining media literacy and starting to understand what makes something worthy of consuming in terms of media. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about entertainment media. I'm mostly talking about news media. What is worthy of you consuming. Do you want to be lied to? I have this theory that sometimes people want to be lied to that. They just want to sort of confirm all the things that they believe about the world. So they feel safe and less anxious and things like that, but that's not what you should be doing. Be told, be worthy of the truth and go out and sort of vet the news sources that you, that you consume. And when you do that, you can have a few that you know are rock solid. So I have a few that I know are rock solid because I know that the methodologies that they use to gather and report news are solid, are aimed at finding and reporting the truth. And that's what's most important. Those news sources for me are Vox.com, 538.com, the New York Times, places like that. Local papers can sometimes do this really well too. The Kent City Star does an amazing job sort of gathering and reporting the news. They still do a great job of it. I do not like broadcast news sources because the conditions and context of broadcast news make it really hard to do really well. So not a lot of broad, broadcast news thrives on the sort of like, let's get two people together. to so yell at each other, or I'm just opinion-making. I'm out here throwing hot takes from my, my desk talking about garbage. And it's like, who needs that? Just read facts, read information, and draw your own damn conclusions. Like, you don't need an opinion section to tell you what you need to know, except for Royals Weekly. You need them to tell you what you need to know. <laughs> but in terms of real news about things that matter, like politics or the fact that 19 kids were shot in a school at, earlier this week, don't be reading opinion. Don't be reading hot takes on that. Be reading facts. And that's one thing I love about baseball and sometimes the intersection of it. If you saw the Rays and Yankees Twitter accounts in the aftermath of that shooting, all they did was tweet facts about gun violence in America. Facts about gun violence in America. That's the important thing. But my, my, my big takeaway here is do the work to understand what are good media sources and what aren't and then stick to the good ones.
1: And the great thing about uh, baseball in that, in that vein is the sport itself is filled with so many facts, like because it's so heavily leans on statistics. Those are unchallengeable un, <laughs> facts. Like I can't look at a guy's OPS and go, well, you know, the, 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 check the source on that. No, that is his OPS. <laughs> that is a 100 percent for sure. Could you analyze that OPS in different ways? Sure, you could. But that is it. It is a fact that. Carlos Santana isn't hitting his weight.
0: (laughs) Yes, that is a fact. Other facts we'll we'll, we'll get into more in the future. But all I'm stressing is the importance of making sure that you're doing good news consuming because it's one of the big issues. And I wish schools taught it more. I know Mike teaches it, which is great, but I wish schools taught this sort of thing more. And if they did, we'd have a much more Adequately informed voter base, so much more adequately informed citizenry, and we wouldn't be uh the targets of these gigantic mis and disinformation campaigns, which happen constantly, including ones where scouts tell us that Vinny P can't get it because he can't hit one <laughs> pitch in one location. That's a disinformation campaign, and I refuse to buy it. Uh we won't ever try and lead you astray here on Royals Weekly. Keep coming back to us for quality information, quality analysis where we try and cite our sources all the time, that sort of stuff. Until we start getting a a great week of baseball, which I think we'll get next week, be good to each other.
1: And go Royals.